Jews whip themselves with scallions, a form of an onion, or leeks, as a reminder during Dayenu of a moment when biblical Israelites, our ancestors, were so forgetful of God's grace, so mindless of his miracles, so forgetful of the Exodus, that they actually complained about a lack of beef and onions and leeks. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 223, David's Haggadah. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Of the many Passover Seder traditions that have proliferated throughout the Jewish world, one of the most charming can be found among Persian and Afghani Jews, involving a food unmentioned in the Passover story. Scallions, or leeks. One of these culinary specimens is placed at every place, and at a certain point in the Seder, the celebrants begin to hit each other with them in recreation of the whipping that was experienced by the Israelites in Egypt. The scallion whipping is, of course, not a severe beating, and it is done in fun. What is striking about it is the moment in the Haggadah when these quote-unquote whippings begin, and the explanation behind that liturgical link allows us to better understand how the psalms we study today may be connected to the Haggadah. Psalm 105 begins with praise of God that parallels a prayer uttered by David as the ark was brought up to Jerusalem as described in the book of Chronicles. Many commentators therefore ascribe this entire psalm to David himself, and much of it involves a retelling of the Passover story. This retelling strikingly begins not with Pharaoh, but with Joseph and Jacob. We are told in the middle of Psalm 105 as follows. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance, to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his ministers wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, to deal subtly with his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They showed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. Thus, the Psalms describe God through providence, setting the stage for the story of the Exodus. What follows next is a description of the plagues, but strikingly, the order of them is not that found in the Pentateuch. We are told, He sent darkness and made it dark, and they rebelled not against his word. He turned their waters into blood and slew their fish. Their land brought forth frogs in abundance in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came diverse sorts of wild beasts and lice in all their coasts. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He smote their vines also in their fig trees and broke the trees of their coasts. He spoke and the locusts came and grasshoppers and that without number and did eat up all the herbs in their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. He smote also the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. Note how this psalm's descriptions of God's actions in Egypt begin with darkness, even though we know that this is the penultimate plague. And perhaps the reason for this lies in the theological significance of the three days of darkness. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has noted that there are two words for the plagues provided in the Bible. Quote, A mofate, a wonder, is indeed a miracle. An oat, a sign, is something else. A symbol, like tefillin or circumcision, both of which are called oat, that is to say, a coded communication, a message. The significance of the ninth plague, Rabbi Sachs continued, is now obvious. The greatest god in the Egyptian pantheon was Ra or Re, the sun god. 
The name of the pharaoh often associated with the Exodus, Ramesses II, means Mises, son of, as in the name Moses, Ra, the god of the sun. Egypt, so its people believed, was ruled by the sun. Its human ruler, or pharaoh, was semi-divine, the child of the sun god. In the beginning of time, according to Egyptian myth, the sun god ruled together with Nun, the primeval waters. Eventually, there were many deities. Ra then created human beings from his tears. Seeing, however, that they were deceitful, he sent the goddess Hathor to destroy them. Only a few survived. The plague of darkness, Rabbi Sachs concluded, was not a mofate, but an oat, a sign. The obliteration of the sun signaled that there is a power greater than Ra. Yet what the plague represented was less the power of God over the sun, but the rejection by God of a civilization that turned one man, Pharaoh, into an absolute ruler, son of the sun god, with the ability to enslave other human beings, and a culture that could tolerate the murder of children, because that is what Ra himself did, end quote. So Rabbi Sachs writes, and based on this we can suggest, that the retelling of the plague story in what we might call the Haggadah of the Psalms begins with darkness, because while it may not have been the first or the most miraculous or the most painful plague, it was theologically one of the most significant moments in the entire story, one which spoke to the larger religious lesson of the Exodus itself. Psalm 105 later concludes with moments beyond the Exodus, entry into the land of Israel and the observing of the Torah. What the psalm gives us, then, is a retelling of the Exodus. With the opening of the psalm, O give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, signifying to us that these miracles in Egypt are meant to serve as inspiration for the giving of gratitude to God. Now, today, we Jews have a liturgical piece that retells the miracles of the Exodus and of events that followed as a way of giving gratitude to God. And this passage is known as Dayenu. Dayenu in the Haggadah begins with the wonders wrought by the Almighty in Egypt. We say, Ilu had you merely taken us out of Egypt and not punished the Egyptians. Dayenu, this would have been sufficient. Had you performed all the miracles in Egypt and lo etayam, not split for us to see, Dayenu, this would have sufficed. But Dayenu, like Psalm 105 itself, continues describing all of early Jewish history, thanking God for the giving of the Sabbath, the commanding of the Torah, the entry into the land of Israel, and the building of the temple. Dayenu today is one of the most beloved parts of the Haggadah. And for the Jews with this tradition, it is during Dayenu that the scallion-whipping frenzy takes place, adding a whole other dimension to an already famous section of the Passover liturgy. And yet, precisely because the wonders described in Dayenu extend far beyond the Exodus itself, the placement of this liturgical composition in the Haggadah has always struck me as strange. The role of the Seder is to re-experience the Exodus, or as the Haggadah itself puts it, In every generation, one is obligated to see oneself as if he had left Egypt. Why then would we go through an entire list of the wonders of Jewish history? I could not help but notice that in the Haggadah that Maimonides gives us in his Code of Law, the Dayeno liturgy is noticeably absent. Why then do we go out of our way to say it at the Seder? With this question in mind, let us turn to the next Psalm, 106, which, according to some commentators, is also from David and is meant to serve as a parallel to the Psalm that we just studied. Whereas Psalm 105 focused on the miracles of the Exodus, Psalm 106 is about the Israelite failure to truly remember the miracles of the Exodus. It reads, Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? 
Blessed are they that keep judgment and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked them at the sea, even at the Reed Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Reed Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words, they sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron the pious of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Aviram. Thus, Psalm 105 is a listing of reasons for gratitude. Psalm 106 depicts our failure to truly give gratitude. And this latter psalm essentially says that all the sins that followed in the desert and in the land of Israel itself were fundamentally due to the forgetting of and lack of gratitude for the miracles of the Exodus. All is traceable to that moment. All is linked to that fundamental failure. It struck me when I was reading these psalms and looking around, I saw that others have suggested this, that Psalm 106 serves as one of the inspirations for Dayeno. And I would argue that it is Psalm 105 and 106 together that perhaps serve as a foundation for that liturgical piece. Psalm 106 holds Israel to task for lack of gratitude for the miracles of the Exodus. And so Jews for centuries responded by giving gratitude for the many miracles of the Exodus. Psalm 105 lists not only the miracles in Egypt, but also the coming into the land of Israel. And according to the commentators, it was first uttered by David at the dedication of the ark's arrival into Jerusalem. And so we in Dayenu give gratitude to God for the arrival into the land of Israel and for the building of the temple for the ark in Jerusalem. With all this in mind, the mysterious placement of the scallion whipping during Dayenu becomes even more profound. It is said that the scallions are meant to remind us of one of the great instances of Israelite ingratitude, described in Numbers 11. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Thus Israel complains. Long before the Wendy's commercial, Jews in the desert first complained, where's the beef? And they added, where's the fish? And where's the onions? And where's the leeks? And so the explanation for the Jewish tradition of whipping links Dayenu to previous Jewish ingratitude. Jews whip themselves with scallions, a form of an onion, or leeks as a reminder during Dayenu of a moment when biblical Israelites, our ancestors, were so forgetful of God's grace so mindless of his miracles, so forgetful of the Exodus, that they actually complained about a lack of beef and onions and leeks. And thus through Dayenu, and for some through a whipping during Dayenu, Jews remind themselves to never be ungrateful again. Soon after reciting Dayenu, we thank God for the food that we are about to eat. Lacking today the centerpiece of the Seder, missing the Paschal Lamb, we nevertheless say gratefully to God, Blessed are you, who took us out of Egypt, 
and has brought us here this evening to partake in matzah and bitter herbs. We do not have the beef that once was eaten in the temple, the sacrificial centerpiece of the Passover meal. All we have is matzah and a garnish. But nevertheless, remembering the sins of the past, we thank God for what he has bestowed on us. And we then proceed with a prayer, asking God to bring us rejoicing to a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem when the Paschal Lamb will be eaten again. We thereby signal that when we genuinely express gratitude for what we have, gratitude for the Exodus, gratitude for the miracle of Jewish existence, then we pray that as a reward, the temple will soon return. Until then, we thank God for Matzah and Maror, for the commandments that God has given us. And I think some will give gratitude to God for scallions and leeks as well. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.